Hello and welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that just played me in is entitled Find It. It is from the album Say I Won't. It is by the bass drum of death. And that album is out January 27th, 2023. This episode of the podcast comes out on the 26th. So if you're listening to it, it comes out tomorrow. You could buy it. If you buy the vinyl, it ships on the 27th. Go and buy it. I got an advanced copy of the album. It's great. And speaking of bass drum of death, John Barrett is my guest today. He's the front person for bass drum of death. And at one point was all of bass drum of death. But we get into that in this great episode. I really enjoyed talking to John. I've been a fan of this band for, well, since the first album. And they're great. I used to work at a bar in downtown Los Angeles, and I would put their tunes on the mix, and I won't lie to you, people fucking loved it. People liked to get drunk while listening to Bass Drum of Death. Um, All things in the show notes, Bass Drum of Death, if you want to buy the album or go to their website, they have a big tour coming up that they're in the midst of, so uh, they're kicking that off very soon. So all of that is in the show notes. Go to their website. You could see them. They're coming probably coming to your town. They're coming to my town, and I'm hope, hopefully we'll see them. Uh, so please support the album, support the band live. These are the best ways to uh, support music and bands. Venues, bands, and buy some merch at the show. God damn it. Uh, speaking of my podcast, if if you're a first-time listener, you can go to themattdwire.com and you can see my past episodes. I've had a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of guests. I'm up there with 300 uh, episodes. At the top of this episode, John and I talk about Harmar Superstar. He's been on the podcast. And here's the other thing. A lot of my episodes, not this one, unfortunately, have a part two. And a lot of the part twos are Patreon exclusive. So if you become a Patreon subscriber for five bucks a month, you get early releases of the episodes. You get the part twos that are solely Patreon exclusive. You get blogs and all kinds of other stuff. So please... Become a Patreon subscriber. That helps keep the show going, helps support me, makes me feel good. I'll send you a pin or something. So thank you very much for that, if you do that. If not, whatever. Thank you. You can tell your friends about the show. That's very supportive, too. And by the way, my website was created by uh, Kelly R. DeWire. Uh, That's my partner in life, and she does a lot of websites. She does a lot of big podcasts and album uh, musicians and artists, and she does it all. So if you need a website, kellyrdewire.com. And speaking, this is the last thing. I I curated an album with Sub Pop and filmmaker Adam McKay. It's called The 11th Hour, Songs for Climate Justice. It's 20 songs. All the proceeds go to the Climate Emergency Fund. So you uh, that link is in the show notes as well. You can go to the Sub Pop website. It's a great album. It's got Fake Fruit, Death, Death Valley Girls, Cloud Nothings, uh, Mud Honey, Moby, Mama Larky, it's it's 20 songs. I can't list them all right now. You'll get bored. But it's a great album. All the guests have been, ex- with the exception of movie, everybody on the album has been a guest as well. So please, become uh, go buy that album. It goes, all proceeds go to the Climate Emergency Fund. And uh, we're headed towards the sixth mass extinction, extinction on Earth. 60 Minutes just did a piece on it. So maybe we should do what we can to fucking stop it. And if you're going to try to stop climate change, you might as well listen to some good music while you do it. 
Um, that is it for my intro show stuff. Thank you very much. I'm recording this intro at the top of the year. It's my first recording of 2023, just this intro. I did the interview about a week ago. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, enjoy this episode. Thank you very much. Here's John Barrett of Bass Drum of Death. We have a mutual friend in Harmar Superstar giving you a tour around St. Paul, Minneapolis. <laughs> oh, we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he took us to uh, like the CNC Lounge for breakfast. And um, yeah, he's been a buddy, like buddies when we both lived in New York. And um, yeah, so he took us to the CNC Club or something like that. It's where like Tommy Stinson used to play pinball as a like teenager and shit. And um, and then uh, took us to the Mall of America. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and then dropped us off at the airport. So yeah. Wow, an airport so, drive. That's uh that's a fucking friend. I know, especially <laughs> with all of our shit. We had, we were like clown card in there with all of our gear. So yeah, he's he's a very sweet dude for that. Yeah, he's a sweet dude in general, from my experiences. Yeah. He fucking knows everybody too. He so, fucking does. It's insane. Yeah. How is so, the it's mall? Pretty cool. Was the uh, Mall of America humbling as far as malls go? You're like, <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of a like it was overwhelming. I was just like, fuck, man, there's just way too much going on right now. <laughs> we basically just we 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 walked around just a bunch and like we went in a couple of stores and basically we were just like walking around like this the whole time. And uh, yeah, it was kind of a mind fuck. It's but, kind uh, of yeah, it was cool. It's about as America yeah. as you can fucking get. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's named very appropriately. <laughs> Did you do the roller coaster? Do they still have that? Yeah, they do. There's a couple of them. I wouldn't get any, anywhere near that. I was a little too, I mean, it was into tour and I was just like, um, I can't be on anything else that moves. That's not a plane or a van, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Do you get to dick around that much in towns or usually in and out? Um, it just kind of depends on the schedule and like what, you know, if we have off days and stuff like that. Um, usually not though, because, you know, usually off days, um, are either driving days or, you know, um, yeah, you just basically by the time you sound check, and you know get kind of settled or like go to a hotel or something and then come back and eat some dinner and then the show's starting and then you know at most we'll go out like after the show um and uh maybe if we have time we'll hit up a good place for lunch or something like that but generally you know there's not a whole lot of sightseeing just unless there's some sort of hole in the schedule or something like that do you take your golf clubs with you no, what we what we have done in the past though is we had we did one tour out west where we had a bunch of days in between for like driving, but the drives weren't super far, so we had a lot of time. So we basically found all these like little par three like pitch and putt courses, where basically you just like pick up a putter out of like a like barrel, a putter in like a wedge because <laughs> they just have them there. And you grab a couple of balls and it costs like nine bucks to play like 18 holes or whatever. So we, we, we've done that, but it's just like, 
Yeah, it's too hard to schedule in golf, um, at least with where we're at now, like touring in a van and stuff like that. Basically, if you go somewhere and you have like a morning or an afternoon or something like that. But yeah, I can't bring the clubs just yet. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully this next record goes well and uh, you know, we can get a bigger van and have some more room and time and all that shit. <laughs> Do you get asked about golf a lot or is it? I just saw the pictures in the on the, your Instagram and I yeah I mean I'm starting to get asked about it more because it's basically like when I'm home I'm either like recording or you know doing music stuff or I'm doing that so that that definitely is one of the things that I um it's definitely my main hobby I guess you would say um so yeah I'm starting to get asked about it more but um yeah, it's kind of funny. Like once the music stuff, like tour and everything like that kicks up, like I'm able to play less and less. So, <laughs> so there's not a whole lot to talk about it. Like currently, cause I haven't played it so long, but, um, but yeah, I get asked about it a fair amount. Um, I did like, that's what, just one of those things I did over the pandemic because there was fucking nothing else to do. And, um, yeah, I just got way into. So did you do it before the pandemic or was it like a pandemic thing that you got into? Yeah. So I started playing, I mean, I played when I was a kid and then probably stopped for like 15 years or so. I didn't play that much. I would maybe play once every two or three years, but, um, and then in New York, I had some buddies that got way into it and that kind of like rejuvenated me for it. And I would go out with them and play. And, uh, then my dad, my dad and mom are, are big into it as well. So every time I would come home, I would play with them. So I started kind of gradually playing more and more when I was living in New York and then like kind of during the pandemic, when I moved home, that was about the, uh, or moved back to Mississippi. That was about the only thing you could do. So, um, so yeah, I just started playing a ton and, uh, yeah. Anyways, do you put beer in your bag? Um, it depends. I used to, I used to, it depends. Like if they have beer at the course, I'll usually just do that. But, um, but yeah, a lot of times, you know, if I go, a lot of times if I go play in the morning, you know, or even like, I feel like the more I've been playing, the less I like drink, um, just because I like take it a little bit more seriously. And like, you know, it's kind of, I get frustrated sometimes <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it just kind of depends on the vibe. Like if I'm out with like homies and it's like, you know, it's Saturday afternoon or something like that, or Saturday morning and you know, everybody's in good spirits. I'll have a few drinks, but, um, yeah, if it's just like me and my dad playing, like I usually won't won't drink. But um, but yeah, it just kind of depends. Most of my friends who golf, it's I think it's more the excuse to drink in the morning. <laughs> just oh, I've I've definitely yeah yeah yeah. I mean, I've definitely had times at the course where we've like played like up until basically the. <laughs> basically sundown and then basically basically at that point at that point we can all like barely see the ball and are like you know i've definitely gotten to the point where i'm like whiffing shit so, so i'm i know that feeling very well i don't get better with anything well when drinking like uh maybe just my mood but everything else is a fucking shit show <laughs> yeah they did it they actually somebody tested this because there's a long like a big like sort of like urban legend sort of theory in golf that like you're better if you're drinking. And, um, so they tested it. 
they did a bunch of tests. Or these like random dudes did a test. This was not scientific at all, really. <laughs> the, the, the data was, and basically they all shot better. Like they played when they were sober. They shot better when they had had like one or two beers than when they were sober. But then after that, it went, they started shooting worse and worse and worse. And then basically if they were on like nine or 10 beers, they were like awful. So the sweet spot um, pseudo scientifically is like <laughs> one or two beers. Like maybe have, maybe have like a couple on the, on the front nine and then one on the back nine. And that's probably the sweet spot. Didn't John Daly like, once he didn't he try to quit drinking and then he his game went to shit and then he went back to I think he does I think he's a bit more into things other than drinking. He's like the, yeah he's had I don't know exactly what um what the deal is with him I know there's something like there's something recently like he played a tournament recently that said he like he had basically fifteen diet cokes and thirty five <laughs> and thirty five cigarettes during the round. <laughs> Because I think of like PGA tournaments, I don't think you can drink during it. But <laughs> yeah, he definitely uh, he can he can definitely put them away though. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what his status is now with all this. I know he's had a bunch of health stuff that's like kind of unrelated to any of that. But um, I, it might have something to do with 15 diet cokes though. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty intense. That doesn't sound good at all. Ah. <laughs> uh, I wanted to go back to like, cause I was reading about like your early days in Mississippi and it was just you that was the band, right? It was a, sort of a one man band thing with a drum and a guitar. Was yeah. It? And, uh, what was, what was the scene like back then? Cause I, what I read was that that's why you split your town is because you wanted a bigger scene. And so you went to New York and I was curious what was going on in the scene when you first were doing it. Well, actually, when I first started, like, it was pretty, like, there was a pretty good amount of stuff going on in Oxford. Like, all my friends had stuff going on in different different projects and stuff. And I, I think I I did the, like, straight-up one-man band. I didn't do it for very long because I remember, like, getting, like, emails. Or I guess at that point, it was, like, MySpace messages. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I'm that old. Uh, um, me too, man. <laughs> I had Friendster, yeah, so. so. Oh yeah, well, I never did that, but um, yeah. So I would I would be getting all these offers to do these like one man band like festivals, and it was all these dudes that were doing you know like uh, you know like symbols and all sorts of shit and like shit strapped to them and stuff like that. <laughs> and I was just like, man, I you know I never this was never about being a one man band. This was basically just about playing, being able to play songs and have it be a little bit more than just a dude sitting up there with a guitar. So basically pretty soon after that, I added or started playing with Colin, our first, and we were a two piece for a while. And uh, yeah, during that time, I guess it was like 2007, maybe 2008 through like, uh, yes, my first record came out in 2011. I think we were still a two piece then. Um, um, yeah, during all that time, there was a pretty good amount of stuff going on in Oxford and uh, pretty good scene. Like people, you know, we were trading shows with bands from other places. Like they'd play with us. We played with them when they came to Oxford and they'd play with us when we went elsewhere. And, you know, just kind of booking our own tour sort of stuff. Um, and it was like a pretty good group of people doing it. There's, uh, my buddy Dent May, who I ended up living with later. And, um, 
you know, my friend Cole furlough. And then I was in, I was in like two or three different bands during that time. But, um, but yeah. And, and once all that kind of kicked up, I guess around 2011, we all moved into this house, like kind of on the outskirts of town called the dude ranch. And we, we uh, hosted shows cause it had this huge, like wide open space that was like off to the side of it finished and so i think our rent there were five five dudes living in there and like my, our rent was like 280 dollars a piece <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and we would all practice there and so everybody's gear was there there's still gear that i'm like missing and there's still gear that i have that i don't know whose it is but it just came from <laughs> bed. yeah so we ended up uh, you know hosting a lot of shows and doing that that sort of thing and then I guess it was around, so yeah, so Oxford was great and had a really good, um, pretty good scene and, and a lot of stuff going on there for a while. And I guess around 2013 or so, I'd, you know, been on like basically two record cycles and that sort of stuff. And um, I was just, I'd just been in Oxford for a while. So um, I decided to move up to New York. But, um, and then around that time, like a bunch of other friends like left and went elsewhere as well. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It was more of the timing, like in my life, it didn't really have much to do with like the scene or anything. Cause the scene was pretty good. Um, especially for a, you know, college town in Mississippi that has like 30,000 people in it. But, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd never really lived anywhere else. So, so I wanted to give New York a shot and see what that was all about. Pretty much. Was there, <clears throat> did you try to start a band or were you just like, fuck it? I want to do this on my own before you, when you went to do the solo thing. Um, I mean, I was in a band in high school and we kind of, kind of continued in like my first year of college or whatever. And then it was just kind of like, I just found the whole process of like trying to collaborate with three other people who you weren't necessarily on the same page with, like creatively just fucking exhausting. <laughs> and so around that time is when I figured out like garage band and all this sort of shit where you could like basically build your recordings like by yourself you could basically sound like a whole band you didn't need to have everybody in one room you could just play the drums to the song and then play the guitar and so yeah once i figured that out i pretty much you know that's just kind of how i've kind of done it and um i mean um yeah i just kind of wanted to do stuff myself and see how i could make it sound just myself and uh to be honest, it's only been like fairly recently where, you know, had other people come in with like input on the songs and stuff like that. Like even producers, I did the first, my first, it's like completely by myself in garage band. And then, um, I've been in studios for the last three, but it's all been with, you know, producers who I really respect and, and, you know, that, um, that kind of get it. So yeah, it's still just kind of a, so I'm trying to evolve out of just doing everything myself because I don't want it to sound too samey. But at the same time, there is a certain amount of stuff that I like to do myself because I think it helps keep like a certain identity of what, you know, our stuff kind of sounds like and kind of what I, it gives a good, like pretty much like a rubric of what I want it to sound like and, and kind of the energy that I want to, you know, have come across. Did you feel like you, it was a learning curve to start collaborating with people again and that maybe you had to give up some sort of, I don't know, sense of what you wanted or, or that it opened up more places for you to go. Yeah, a little bit. And, and I mean, just stuff with like, 
you know, even stuff like releasing like what, what should be like the singles and stuff like this. And, you know, I was pretty hard headed about that early on. And, um, you know, I think since then I've learned to kind of like, you know, I've learned to understand that like maybe the song that I like the most isn't necessarily going to be the one that should come out first and like have you know, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, there has been a little bit of a learning curve on that, but, but, uh, you know, aside from that, it's been really fun. And to be honest, it keeps it interesting for me and, and honest and keeps me, you know, accountable and kind of on, on track because sometimes, you know, I'll, uh, you know, just get kind of, you know, when you're sitting in there and you have all your stuff set up and you're sitting at your computer and it's just you and you just have to build a song, it can seem a little bit daunting. So if you have other people in there that are, that are with you, that are still, that are sharing that same goal, it just, it's just a lot more fun and makes it a little bit more easier and not as, not as kind of like, you know, um, monotonous because the actual building of the song is monotonous, but when you're done and you can see it start to take place, then you're like, Oh shit, this is sick. So, <laughs> so yeah, it, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed, you know, bringing more people in and, uh, and we've got a pretty good, pretty good crew, um, right now. So I'm very pleased with that. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Was it, do you go into the studio pretty set with what you're doing or do you still allow for a lot of experiment and like discovery in the studio? Usually, usually I pretty have pretty much have, uh, pretty much have like 60 to 70% of something written when we go in and then we'll, we'll add like, we'll just kind of fiddle around sometimes with the structure of it and like little breaks or stuff like that. And then also the overdubs, but, but basically the bones of the stuff is pretty much written like all the riffs and like the vocal melodies and that sort of stuff is, is all pretty set by the time we go in, like even, even the demo really. Cause a lot of times I'll still, I'll still do demos like by myself, kind of the same way I've always done it. But, um, but yeah, then they'll change once we go into like a studio and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, pretty much everything's, I mean, I go into it with the way that I kind of want it to sound and I try to, you know, get at least a pretty good first pass on something. Um, yeah, before we go into like the real studio. So um, yeah, I've just, I've just kind of upgraded a bunch of my recording stuff as well. So I'm still kind of experimenting with that and trying to get that to sound pretty cool because, you know, basically the better that you can, I feel like the better that I can record it myself, you know, then once you go in with like a producer and stuff like that, you give them a pretty clear idea of, you know, kind of what you achieve and then, you know, everything can, you can kind of tweak stuff from there, but it's a really good starting point. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's what we try to do. When you're done with like an album or a tour, are you just, do you want to just take a total break from music and be like, I need to fucking get away from this? Or is it always roaming around in your head? No, it's all pretty, it's, it's pretty much always kind of roaming around. Um, the hard thing about, about tour is that, you know, you're kind of playing generally the same songs every night and you don't really get a whole lot of time to like dick around or, you know, um, you know, I'm I'm not a big, huge fan of just like jamming at sound checks. I know like some people are, but, but I mean, we'll, we'll do it a little bit, you know, a couple of minutes here or there or something like that. And, um, you know, we'll kind of, 
jam on a few things, but like I can always like see the like sound guys like eyes rolling in the back of the whenever we do that. So I'm always like, yeah, sorry, man. Start doing but some yeah, Grateful Dead for him. Yeah, I'm usually I'm usually a lot more productive and like kind of um, I don't know about productive, but just like you know, in terms of like sitting down and having like a clear head and being able to like jot something down, whether it be like a voice memo or or you know an actual like you know bones of a song. I'm always I always pretty much need to be at home for for that sort of stuff, just because when you're on tour, there's just so much other shit going on, and uh, it's just hard to find a quiet moment at all like let alone trying to write a tune so do you uh have a sort of like golf do you have a sort of certain amount of drinks do you have one or two drinks before you go up and scientifically you're good <laughs> um not really like usually i'll usually i'll record like pretty much during the day like usually between like 10 a.m and, and like five um yeah i usually don't like to i mean that's kind of how we i mean i've worked on records where we've like worked into the night and like had drinks and stuff like that. And, um, I meant you know, live. The, that was what I meant live, but yeah. Oh, live. Oh yeah. I mean, I think the, the magic, the magic number for me, I think is like, I think two beers and a shot of tequila before we go on. And then like one beer while we're playing. That's pretty good. And, uh, yeah. So that's, that's usually, that's usually my go-to. Um, you know, I think, I think probably on average, that's probably correct. Because some nights I won't drink at all. And like some nights I'll have, you know, three or four before that. But, um, but yeah, usually, usually around then is my, uh, that's the sweet spot. When did you, when did you start writing songs? Like, and who were the, like, who inspired you to start moving towards music? Or was that something that was- um, it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I was, I was in like all sorts of like middle school and high school bands and, um, you know, I guess me and me and my buddies in, um, high school were all super into like, um, to Nirvana and Sonic Youth and, uh, all those. So like the, that movie, the year punk broke was super influential. And, um, I've never seen that. I keep trying. I've been wanting to oh, see man, that. It's incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. And, uh, you know, some of those like, like Nirvana, like live DVDs and, um, you know, to be honest, like the, like Rage Against the Machine live in Mexico city, we wore that shit out too. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, basically I was just, uh, you know, I'd always, or I'd grown up like knowing how to play guitar and like got an electric guitar, forget how old I was, but you know, I always wanted to be in like a rock band and, um, yeah, so it just kind of gradually went from there. And, like, um, I guess, I don't know when I started writing songs, but um, it was fairly early, probably, like, seventh or eighth grade, maybe. So, um, I mean, they, they were fucking dog shit, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I guess, the, like, once the, like, basically once I started with you know, this project, then I started, you know, kind of taking it a little bit more serious. I don't want to say too serious. I, I take it just as seriously as I need to, <laughs> to, to be like somewhat legit, but it's still, uh, yeah, it's still something that like, is really, really fun for me when it all, when it works. And, uh, 
you know, I try not to get too bogged down and stuff when I don't think it's working. I try just to like kind of move on and uh, do something different, but yeah, there's always, you know, I'm always trying to figure out ways to do something a little bit new or, or like kind of push, push myself out of something that I would, you know, maybe fall back into doing like out of comfort. So I'm still, still trying with all that sort of stuff, but but yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fun, fun thing to do. Uh, I, in the press release for the new album, it says that you, it reminded you that this can be fun again. And did you lose that sense of fun for a while or is it just, was it other elements? Oh, a little bit. I mean, I think in like when I was living in New York, I was like the lead up to in between third and fourth record, but basically I'd been like, a ton and I'd really not had any time in like five years to like kind of live. So uh, I took a, some time to like kind of live in New York. So I kind of had a break from it and uh, was also just kind of partying a lot. And then in the lead up to my fourth record, like we were just, we just kept going back and forth with the label that we were on at the time. And they, they kind of wanted us to be something that was, that I did not want us to be really. And so it just kind of like, and it basically was just kind of a bad experience with that. Like not with recording the record at all, but just kind of in the lead up and all the like shit around it. And um, yeah, it just kind of burnt me out a little bit. And uh, you know, at the same time I was probably partying too much and and not really focused on it as much as I should have been. But, um, but yeah, I just kind of got burnt out on it and uh, you know, kind of needed a, a, pretty big reset on, on everything, uh, to be honest. So, yeah, so this one or leading up to this one was, um, was all really fun. And I was working with my brother like a lot on the songs and, um, and we would go different places. We would record in Oxford and we took a couple of trips, like went up to Nashville and like rented an Airbnb and did some recording up there. So, um, yeah, it was just like, a much better sort of process and like, uh, yeah, I kind of got, got my, uh, got my excitement back for it a little bit after kind of, you know, a few years of just kind of being burnt out and being like, yeah, oh, this is kind of a chore. So, yeah. And fuck it. I lived in New York for a while. That town can just fucking, <laughs> it's like I hated my fucking apartment. So I was out every night and after six months I was like, I'm going to fucking die. That's the thing. It's like you, yeah, you're living in a tiny place. And then, you know, I would schlep my stuff down to my practice space that was shared with like four other bands. And that place is even smaller. <laughs> and, like, and it's like in a basement with no window. It's just, it's just hard to, uh, it's hard to be super like, if you like working like that, it's just hard to make yourself kind of do it and come up with stuff. You know, I mean, everybody's situation is different, of course, but, um, yeah, it's just, and the main thing is it's hard to make noise in New York, like if you're in a rock band. So, um, but what did, what it did help me with though, is like, I learned how to like kind of program drums and stuff like that. I mean, just very rudimentarily, but, um, you know, I was able to build songs in my apartment without making a whole lot of noise. And that was, that was good for me to learn how to do that. But at the, at the same time, I'd rather just set some mics up and like rip an actual drum set. But, um, but yeah, it was just kind of a, it was a tough place to live, um, basically and be a, a musician pretty much because, you know, it's just, it's expensive and, you know, 
all sorts of, everything's just a little bit harder than it should be. In New York, I, <laughs> I know. I, I would always like, if I'd just go to the fucking corner to get a cup of coffee and I'd somehow, I'd blow 20 bucks. I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Yeah. Every, every time you walk out of your apartment in New York, it's, it's 20 bucks. It's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a city tax. <laughs> what was it about New York that drew you there and not say, I don't know, were there other cities you thought of too? Um, I've thought about LA, but, um, yeah, I was like kind of dating a girl that was there and then we broke up and I was like, well, I don't want to do, I don't want to move out there. So I'll do the opposite. <laughs> so, so I just went to New York. Um, was Chicago ever I an option? To be, yeah. I just wanted to be, you know, I've lived in Oxford like my whole life. And so I figured if I was going to move somewhere, let's move to like the biggest and craziest fucking place that you could do it. <laughs> So yeah, there wasn't wasn't a whole lot of thought process other than that, really. Did you know anybody, or did you go kind of cold? Yeah, I had some friends, but um, and I was lucky. Like you know, most of my early friends there, I mean, um, you know, had been there a while and kind of knew everybody. So I just kind of got grandfathered into you know some you know really good groups of friends like pretty quickly. So I got very lucky, but. Um, but yeah, I didn't know like just a ton of people, but, um, but the people I did were, you know, kind of, were all like great people and introduced me to a ton of people. And, um, you know, before you know it, you just, you know, you got a pretty good network. So, yeah, I didn't, I fucking, my brain, like I, and I went from Chicago, so I kind of was in a city ish, bigger city, but it fucked. I couldn't, I don't know. I couldn't get in step there for like the longest time. Did you find any of that when you moved there? Like it threw you off or there was, well, I kind of, I kind of moved there and then I moved there for like, I moved there. It's like during the summer It was before my third record came out. And then basically went on tour for nine months um, and, and had all my shit in storage. So I basically, the first year that I lived there, I was only really there for three months. But, um, but then, but yeah, then when I came back, uh, I pretty much got into the swing of things like pretty easily. Like I had to, I was like bouncing around subletting for a while and that was super annoying, but it was, uh, it was also probably good because it just, when you're bouncing around from apartment to apartment every like two or three months, you really trim down on the amount of shit that you own. <laughs> so yeah, that was probably good. Uh, it was I know it was the pandemic, but was there other reasons you got the fuck out of New York or did you just need like mentally need to get out of there? Well, that was the main one. Um, like basically when the NBA, when the news came that the NBA was canceling their season, I was like, Oh shit, I've got to get out of here. This is, could be gnarly. But I didn't think it was going to be, you know, I thought it'd be weeks, a month, two months, maybe, but definitely didn't think it'd be any, anything as crazy as it has been, unfortunately. But yeah, I think, but then pretty soon after that, my girlfriend came down to visit when she was looking at law schools anyway, and um, decided to go to law school at the University of Mississippi, which is in Oxford. So then when she came down here, I was like, well, this, you know, works out great for me. And um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so we've been here for, I guess, almost two and a half years now. So she's about to graduate in the spring. 
That's awesome. Are you glad to be back there? Yeah, it's been good. Um, it's just, it's a little small, you know, um, just for my age, you know, there's just, uh, you know, basically it's great if you're like a college kid and in your early twenties and you want to live somewhere pretty cool. That's, that's fairly cheap. And then it's great. It's really awesome. If you're like, if you have kids and you're kind of my age, but I'm my age and I don't have kids. And, and so I'm kind of stuck in the middle. So it's a little small, but at the same time, it's been a great place for, um, especially for this past two years to kind of like have a reset on all fronts, like including the music stuff. Do you think you, are you planning to leave or are you going to have, are you going to have kids? <laughs> um, no real plans on the kids, but you know, we'll see that could change. Um, and my girlfriend has a job in Nashville starting next August. So I think we're going to move to Nashville. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But Nashville is super close to Oxford. So we'll, we'll be back a bunch. I wanted to go was how big of an influence was Nirvana. And that I know you mentioned like that documentary, cause I never seen it, but I, I was wondering too, if like, if there was any insights to how they Nirvana and Sonic youth worked and how that may have influenced you. Yeah. I mean, I think the, one of the biggest Nirvana influences was their live record, like from the muddy banks to the Wishka, because like when I was growing up, my mom, wouldn't let me get Nevermind because it had like the baby dick on it. And I was like, that's really weird, but okay. So, you know, I'm pretty sure I got that. I got from the muddy banks, like on one of those like Columbia house subscription things that she had. And so we, we could pick out like one or two CDs a month or whatever. And that was one that I picked out. So I remember like being a kid, like basically just jumping around and playing like air guitar to that record. Like, all the time how so, old were you i was probably 10 or 11 maybe yeah oh so when he died it probably did it resonate with you at all or did i mean what were you not like, really eight? i mean I, I i knew it had happened and i knew like what they were kind of but i'd never heard any of the music because i think it was 94 right so yeah i was like seven or eight so yeah i wasn't really yeah, I kind of missed that whole thing and, and like really got into it later, just, um, you know, kind of by chance, to be honest. Not to sound old, but I was about that age when John Lennon died. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it didn't, I didn't fucking get it either. And then it's, which is weird because now I look back at it and I'm like, one of the biggest rock stars of all time died and I had no fucking concept of, I like vaguely knew what they were. And I like, yeah. I, I think I got into them after. Uh, you know, kind of same thing with Sonic Youth. Youth, I got into a lot later, like when I was in high school. Um, but yeah, when I was like, we would always sit sit around and watch. You know, um, you know, my my early high school band. We were like playing like basically all these stupid little like church festivals and stuff. Like anything you could, anything we could get, and uh, yeah, and it was always because that because when the year punk broke like that was that was basically a sonic youth and nirvana like european tour doc and um in like 91 or 92 and i just remember like seeing them play all these like huge festivals and being like oh shit that looks fucking awesome let's try to do that <laughs> and, 
Yeah, the closest we could get was like the Catholic Church, like October <laughs> best thing. You know? So, how'd that go? Yeah, I remember it being pretty fun. We did. We also played like the uh, my like eighth grade Latin club had like a festival every year. We played um, played that one year, and that went really well. We played like three Nirvana covers, and that was it. <laughs> and everybody was looking nuts. Were you like? Yeah. Did, were you like, oh fuck, this is it? When because I know that feeling, like because I used to perform not music, but like the first time I went and did well, I was like, oh fuck, and that was it. I was like, it was a junkie. Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, from from pretty much from then, I was yeah, pretty pretty dead set on it. And uh, you know, even I went to I went to college for like a couple of years, but the whole time, like in between, I was you know still still playing shows with like my high school band and that kind of like that kind of um you know fizzled and um and then that's when i started doing the bass drum of death stuff and then basically after a year or so of doing the bass drum of death stuff i stopped going to school and just started moving furniture and like went on tour as much as i could so was was college one of those choices that i gotta fucking do this this is what i'm supposed to do Kind of. And like, I didn't, I didn't really have, I didn't really have anything that I wanted to do. So that like, that like kind of, um, I didn't really look too hard at like going elsewhere, like other places for school and like Ole Miss, which is like in my hometown, was just like the easiest choice. If you like, didn't know what the fuck you wanted to do. And, uh, yeah. And then that kind of became an issue like two years in because I still didn't know <laughs> what I wanted to do. And I was just like, well, this is kind of like, why am I here then? This is kind of, you know, this kind of sucks. So, um, I mean, I want to be doing music, so maybe I should just not do school and just try to work and then do music, um, you know, as much as I can. Did, so you, that's ever, kinda how did you ever declare like a major or was it just sort of, I think I switched majors like three times in two years. I think I started as a business major and then switched to like liberal arts, like with like two minors and then switched back to business. And then I was like, I'm oh, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> business yeah. to liberal arts. That's a fucking, those are two worlds, two different worlds. Yeah. And that's, that's just, it's very uh, indicative of how little that I knew what, the fuck I wanted to do at all. <laughs> like none of that makes sense. So, um, uh, did you feel frustrated, like you were look, looking for something, or did you know it was music and you had? To... I mean, I kind of knew that I wanted to do music, but at the same time, you know, I there was always in the back of my mind, it's like, well, you know, get a degree that way, like you can do, you know, or at least you have more, a few more options, you know, than if you drop out and then. After a while, I think my last semester, I like had like, it was abysmal. Like I was like not showing up to exams and shit and I was just over. <laughs> and so I was just like, yeah, this, this is just, uh, let's just get out of here. Yeah. And, uh, maybe I'll back in a little bit or something. Yeah. My, my, around my freshman year of college, I discovered cocaine and boy, oh boy, that doesn't really make you want to go to school. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Weird, weirdly enough, it makes you want to do like everything else. But cool. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't know. I knew, was there, 
that moment, that sort of epiphany moment where you're like, fuck this, like I'm, I'm 100% going after music or was it sort of a slow, slow process? Um, it was kind of, it was a bit of a slow process, I guess, but you know, basically kind of once I, once I like stopped going to school, then I was like, well, now we've got to really, you know, now I have the time to give this a shot. And, uh, now we're really going to give this a shot. So, um, yeah. And, uh, luckily I was able to work a bunch of like kind of jobs that, um, you know, were, uh, not super regular. Like basically when you were on, you were on, um, basically I was afforded a lot of like free time to be able to tour and stuff like that. So were the, how were your parents with you quitting college? Were they just like, were they supportive or yeah i mean they were but it's just because they knew how shitty i was doing in school and they're like <laughs> they're like yeah that's just probably probably they're like this probably makes sense like if you're not gonna do it then there's no point in you being there so um but yeah i think uh yeah they were they were super supportive though yeah i i, I had a period where i was like living in a closet and uh my mom was like I don't think this is working out. I'm like, I'm fucking 21. Like, I'm <laughs> like, can I have a minute to fucking show that I can do something? Yeah. It's amazing what you can, what, you know, uh, conditions and situations that you can deal with when you're 21. Like basically <laughs> you can do anything and it's usually kind of fine. Yeah. Plus you've got that you're living in the romance of it. Like I was thinking of that house with five dudes, I can't, was it a, I can't imagine it was a tidy place. <laughs> no, we would have, we would have one big, like deep clean a year and then that would last. And then we would have a party and it would be all fucked up again. <laughs> so, but basically there was, there was a couple of us that, you know, usually kept our rooms like fairly, you know, respectable. And then a couple of us that absolutely did not. So, um, yeah, there, it was, uh, it just, it would depend on the day really. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't, I wouldn't, <laughs> I definitely, it wasn't like filthy, but it wasn't far from it. <laughs> <laughs> which, which one were you? Did you have the good room or the bad room? Well, I actually moved up in the hierarchy. I had kind of a shitty room that was right next to the, the kitchen and then after one of our other friends moved out, I got like a real room with carpet that, you know, had, you know, that was hooked up to the central heat and air and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I usually kept my room pretty, pretty tidy. And, uh, and to be honest, most of the time I was, I was there, I was on tour like a ton. So I wasn't there like a whole bunch. So it was always nice to, you know, it was always nice to come back to, um, from tour after being on tour for like, you know, four or five weeks and like figuring out who all slept in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Did they have the decency to fucking clean the sheets? Oh no. Oh no. I think once out of like the 13 times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just, you know, when, when you're in that situation and that's, uh, you know, it's, it's all, it's all good. It's not a a huge deal. Yeah. was that were a lot of these tours before the first album came out? Because I was just curious of like how bare because you know sometimes those can be pretty bare bone tours if it when you don't have an album out or yeah like the first I w- I'd done a bunch of like kind of regional tours 
trips up to New York um, and back or whatever. And then I'd done, I'd done like one, like pretty big, like national run where we like did see, you know, went all the way up to Seattle and all that stuff. But I did most of those in my Toyota Corolla, which is fucking crazy to think about now. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, a, a lot of those tours were before the first record came out. And then like, um, then after the record came out, I think that's when we like, we had a, it was a little bit better, but we were still doing it. It was still like a lot of support slots and stuff like that, that where we were, you know, getting a hundred or $150 a night and just having to basically make friends at the show to make sure that we had somewhere to stay. And, um, yeah, it was pretty, uh, yeah, it was pretty rough going there for a while, but it was fun as shit. So, yeah. so you, you uh, took the Toyota, was the Toyota Corolla just you at that point or did you have the drummer with you? That was with me and Colin, the drummer. Yeah. So we did a, a few tours like that and, uh, yeah, it was really easy cause I had like one guitar amp and I had like, we had a three piece drum set. So we just threw all that in the back seat and, um, yeah, somehow made it work. And, um, did you go all the yeah, way from Seattle, from Oxford to Seattle in that Toyota Corolla? Yeah, I think we started, I can't remember where we started. I think we started in like Columbus, Ohio, and then like went over to New York and then down and across to LA and then up to Seattle over to, from Denver to Chicago. So we basically did a big loop of the whole thing all in the Corolla. So, um, yeah, it was pretty pretty wild it was i'm trying to think of how many miles it was it was at least ten thousand miles but um and the car never shit the bed or anything we had a we had a blowout one day it was kind of like in the desert and um luckily like it, the tire blew out and um you know it, like the car jerked over to the right but it was right at like a uh, like an exit and which was super fortunate because you know we were in the desert i think we were in between like uh, LA and Phoenix or something like that. And we had just been in LA and I was like, man, if this would have happened on one of those freeways, that that's not good. <laughs> cause, cause that Corolla was basically a fucking go-kart. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't winning the battle with anything else on the road at that time. <laughs> in those early days, cause it's just the two of you and a Corolla hit. What was the, was there a low, moment where you were like what the fuck am i doing and was there also like a major high where you're like all right um yeah i mean there were a lot of i don't it was all pretty i mean we were having fun and we were kind of you know we were slumming it but it was still super fun i, I think um i think the one of the low moments is when we you know basically we got back to uh got back to after everything was all said and done like a you know four week tour or whatever and we had like three dollars and fifty cents to split between the two of us so but at the same time we were like well we didn't lose money so that's good um yeah i mean there was there was just a bunch of shit that i learned probably early on. i mean i got to travel a bunch and that was fun but also too i kind of learned that um you know doing a bunch of touring when you don't have a record out is like kind of a hard, hard way to do it. And, um, you know, but learned a lot and, uh, you know, um, kind of got some of that sort of stuff out of the way some of those lessons and stuff. So, um, so that was good at least. And then, um, 
yeah, basically just been doing it the same way, just on a slightly bigger scale ever since. Do you ever think like, I got to get back to my roots and get a Corolla? No, (laughs) but do you ever think about that? Like, I know this is a slightly corny question, but like, do you ever think like, all right, I'm playing this bigger venue or this festival and like, think like, holy fuck, I went from a Corolla to this. Yeah. I mean, I do a lot. And I, and I, well, there, there are times that I wish for a Corolla, especially like when we were, we were just on the West coast and like gas was like, fucking crazy and i was like man this would be a great time to have two <laughs> because it would cost like 40 dollars to fill them up <laughs> yeah i live in the west coast it's a fucking nightmare when you played la were you with the Lemonheads? no that was on our own that's so what i thought they had there was a couple of breaks in their schedule so we did la on our own and then chicago on our own i was gonna try to make the la show but i, I couldn't do it because uh like i said i have kids and that sometimes just fucks Fair enough. I think we're yeah. We'll be back in February. So yeah. Do you know where you're playing in February? Just off everyone. I was just there. That's a great spot. I could show you around like Harmar. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That'd be great. I'll take you to the Glendale Galleria. (laughs) Oh, the (laughs) guy. What's the one? What's the one out in uh, in like Sherman Oaks? It's called something. Oh, that's also a Galleria. I think it's all by the same fucking guy. Yeah, I've been to that one a few times. Um, yeah, I, I like I like LA. It's 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 nice out there. I think LA gets it gets a bad rep, and I think you know uh, you probably are fully aware like what people think of the town. It's like it's not that fucking town at all. There's elements of weirdo Hollywood bullshit, but that's people f- who moved here from fucking Ohio thinking they're going to be Johnny Big Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, the only, the main thing that bugs me about L.A. is just how far away everything is from each other. And, like, basically you have to – yeah, you're just in the car a ton. Like, un- unless you're in, like – unless you stick to one zone, if you want to do things, like, outside of one zone, you're, like – you have to strap in for some rides. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that always, that always kind of bugs me a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, that's just kind of part of it. Yeah, I fucking hate owning a car, and I yeah. I moved here. I didn't even have a my license expired, and I and I went to New York, and I was like, I'm never gonna need a car. And then I came here, and I was like, oh fuck. Yeah, you gotta have one in LA. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotten a little better. Like I live a couple blocks from the train now, so I can take the train places. But it's still, it's like that's good. Yeah. Oxford does do people have a, like people have a misunderstanding of LA do people have a misunderstanding of Oxford do you think um not really I mean like I mean people's Oxford is it's in Mississippi people think certain things about Mississippi and I would say you know probably 80 percent of it is usually kind of correct <laughs> you know but Oxford is Oxford is a nice kind of you know, Oasis in Mississippi. It's just got a lot more going on culturally and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a cool little spot, but, um, it's still relatively kind of under the radar and, um, yeah, it's a, it's just a nice little, little kind of small town where, um, that has, you know, pretty good, really good, like literary scene, like through the school and through like William Faulkner and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, and pretty good, really good food scene as well. And, um, you know, and, 
and it's always been a, a good spot for shows and stuff like that. So it's, um, yeah, it's just kind of a little hidden gem. Then I guess I'll move there. I just got to get out of yeah. here. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time, John. Absolutely, man. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs>